Hi, everyone. You're listening to Who I Met Today, and I'm your host, Pam Lamp. I'm all about doing one tiny new thing every single day. And on this podcast, I invite you to come along with me and discover something new through conversations with people from all walks of life. I hope you enjoy listening to these interviews and exploring new territory with me. For more people stories and episodes, please visit my website, whoimettoday.com. On today's show, I welcome back Vanderbilt University Medical Center physician, Dr. Maureen Seitz. Board certified in both family medicine and geriatrics, Dr. Seitz is here today to discuss all the things we need to know about strokes. It's a hard topic, but such a very important one. Maureen, welcome back. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Pam. How are you? Well, I'm good. And I get a lot of positive comments about the episodes that you've recorded with me so far. In episode seven, we talked about bone density. In episode 18, we talked about shingles. So I really thank you for coming back today. Oh, I'm so excited. It's really fun to get to hang out with you for a little while. I was talking with a friend not too long ago, and she told me she was with a group of women. I think they were all in a needlepoint class. And very suddenly, one of the women began to display what all the others thought were signs of a stroke. So they called an ambulance, paramedics tended to her, took her to the hospital. And obviously, all the women, including my friend, were quite shaken up. But it got me to thinking, do I know what I need to know about strokes? So let's begin, if you don't mind giving listeners a cocktail version of your background. Well, I am a family medicine doctor with a, I did a fellowship in geriatrics and practiced as a geriatrician for a few years. Currently I'm in college health, so mostly adolescent medicine, but I always like to say that everything that you learn in geriatrics informs how you take care of 20-year-olds. So it's all connected. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to ask this question, Maureen, but what is considered the age for a geriatric patient? You know what? That is a really good question because there really isn't a number. Because as you know, there are people who are 50 who are really, really old, you know, just like they've had a hard life you know, and you treat them like a geriatric patient. And then there are people who are 90 who are just won't quit, right? That are just keep going and keep going. So it's more about a state of health than a number. Okay. Well, I hope I'm one of the 90-year-olds that just keeps going and going. You're definitely a young, old person, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But still old. Thank you very, very much. Okay, let's talk strokes. First of all, what is a stroke? Well, I'm going to pull out my old plumbing analogy again. (laughs) So a stroke is a disease of your blood vessels. Okay, so your blood vessels are basically pipes, tubes that take blood everywhere into your body. And the blood carries oxygen, which is needed for life. So your blood is your, you know, kind of your river of life. And just like with any plumbing or any drain, a few things can go wrong. You can get a clog. And depending on where the clog is, everything like 
past that clog is not going to get oxygen and is, you know, therefore when you don't get oxygen, then tissue starts dying. And that's basically one type of stroke. There's another type of stroke where the pipe actually bursts. And that's a rarer kind of stroke. But basically, that's what it is. You know, you have such an intricate branching blood vessel system in your brain. And so, wherever that clog happens is going to determine like what your exact symptoms are and what your recovery is. Okay. So, help me here. So, basically, a stroke is something that blocks the blood from going to your brain and getting oxygen to your brain. Yes. Okay. Or to a particular part of your brain. So you know what happens to a drain that you don't regularly clean. It gets like gunk builds up, right? Got it. So that's called like atherosclerosis. It just means like your pipes are gunked up. Those pipes can get so gunked up that they actually get blocked off. And it's more likely that the smaller pipes are going to get blocked off first. So you might have like a little tiny stroke first. So the different kinds, I believe, are ischemic. Is that how you say that? Yes. And hemorrhagic? Hemorrhagic, yes. And under ischemic, ischemic just means like something that blocks oxygen. So an ischemic stroke blocks off oxygen. And there are two basic ways that that happens. One is with a thrombus. And that's when your blood vessel just kind of slowly like closes up with gunk. And the other kind is an embolic stroke. And that means when a piece of gunk breaks off from a bigger vessel, like down lower, like in your neck or in your upper chest breaks off and that blocks and that travels until the pipe gets too small and it blocks off there. So those are the two basic types of ischemic stroke. And hemorrhagic is when the pipe bursts. And a lot of times it's like a congenital defect. Like you have just a, a weak spot in your one of your blood vessels. And eventually, if you have really high blood pressure, it's going to keep making that spot weaker and weaker because it's just it's so much pressure on that spot. Eventually, it can burst. And that is a hemorrhagic stroke. Which is the more common? Definitely an ischemic stroke or a stroke where part of your brain is not getting oxygen. Now, we're going to get into the warning signs in a minute, but I've heard that timing is critical because noting the time helps determine what treatment options are available. So if you think someone is having a stroke, you should absolutely call for an ambulance rather than drive them to the hospital. Is that accurate? That is accurate because if you call EMT, as soon as they arrive, they can start administering care. Whereas if you drive to the ER, you're going to drive to the ER and then you have to get checked in and blah, blah, blah. It's just, you're not going to get care quite as quickly. And time is of the essence. And we always say time equals brain. So the longer that part of your brain is deprived of oxygen, the less likely that you're going to have a full recovery. 
what are the warning signs? I sent you a little poster of reminders for what to look for in a stroke. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes. It's called Be Fast. And the B stands for balance. So if you have like a sudden loss of balance, the E stands for eyes. Like if you have a partial vision loss in one eye in particular. F stands for face. So if one part of your face is drooping, that's a sign. If you have an arm that's weak on one side suddenly, like that's another sign. If you have slurred speech, that's another sign. And that's when you just call 911, even if you're not sure, because time is so critical because we we can do things about strokes, but time is of the essence. Maureen, how do these symptoms differ from that of a heart attack? I guess what you do is the same. You would still call 911. Yeah. And there basically isn't much of a difference. A heart attack is a stroke that happens in your heart. And a stroke is a heart attack that happens in your brain. Was that too confusing? (laughs) It's basically about blood vessels that are blocked and therefore are blocking oxygen to a critical part of your body, like your heart muscle. If your heart muscle is not getting oxygen, it's not going to pump right. If part of your brain is not getting oxygen, you're going to be weak on one side or your slurred speech or you know, droopy face, or sometimes it's just like a sensory loss. It can even be as subtle as, oh, hey, I can't feel my arm. And that can be a sign of an early stroke. Okay. You said, hey, I can't feel my arm. So are you saying that it is possible in some cases for you yourself to determine that you're having a stroke? I think you just have to look for the warning signs. And if Mm -hmm. you're getting any warning signs, call 911. And if you live in a place like Memphis, Memphis actually has a mobile stroke unit. And it's really amazing because we know that the mobile stroke units save lives, but they're incredibly expensive to maintain. But you have a team who has the ability to do a CT scan in the mobile stroke unit. So you can, it's really important to visualize as quickly as possible where the stroke is happening. So you know what type of a stroke it is and what you can do about it. Let's talk about TIAs. And I'm not even sure what a TIA stands for, but tell us about that and why we should pay particular attention to them. Yes, really, really important. So TIA stands for transient, meaning something that comes and goes, ischemic, which means oxygen blocking attack. So a TIA. So a TIA could be like, oh my gosh, I can't feel my arm. What just happened? And then a few minutes later, it's like, oh, I can feel my arm again. That's not something to go, okay, well, fine. And go on about your day. That is something that you should go get checked out immediately because a TIA is often a precursor to a larger stroke, you know, so you can have a little something like break off and block a small vessel that then, you know, gets pushed out of the way 
but that could mean that there's something else loose that's about to break off and block a larger artery and therefore block oxygen to a larger part of your brain. Maureen, what are the treatments available for the two different types of strokes? Well, the treatment is basically if you have an ischemic stroke, we have like the ability to pour in some Drano and get it unclogged. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we have these clot busting drugs. Okay. Which is why like time is critical. Like if you are having a stroke or even a TIA and you can get imaging that shows, oh my gosh, this looks like a stroke that's going to happen. Then you can start someone on blood thinners like aspirin or Eliquis or one of the other blood thinners to help prevent a stroke. And then sometimes if it's a a big clot, you can go in and actually remove it, go in through a vessel and remove, pull that clot out so it's not blocking the pathway for oxygen. From what I've read, the statistics regarding recovering from a stroke are a little discouraging. I'm sure it's possible, but is complete recovery from a stroke likely? Well, it depends on how fast you go. So that, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, that the acronym be fast is so critical because time equals brain. So the faster you can reperfuse or reoxygenate that part of your brain that's not getting oxygen, the more likely it is to recover. It's kind of like you have like a finger that's pinched. And if it's just pinched for a little while, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but if you like, if it gets pinched for too long, it's just going to be worse. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I know our, our best behavior may not ward off a stroke, but what can we do to help prevent ourselves from having one? Really, your best behavior can help prevent a stroke. And basically being an ideal weight, following a Mediterranean type diet, not smoking. If you have high blood pressure, manage your high blood pressure. It's hard for people to do that sometimes because people don't always feel when their blood pressure is high. They don't really have a lot of symptoms. Some people do get you know headaches when their blood pressure is high but a lot of people don't. And so you kind of forget or you forget to take your medicine, but just keeping your blood pressure nice and low or at a reasonable level is going to help keep less pressure on your arteries, which is going to make it less likely that you have a stroke and also moderate alcohol intake. So for women, not more than one glass of wine a day or one drink a day. And for men, not more than two. What about cholesterol? And cholesterol, yes, that's a big part too. So if you have elevated cholesterol, taking a cholesterol medicine can really help. You especially want to lower your triglycerides and your LDL or your bad cholesterol. Marina, a doctor once told me if you've ever smoked, you're at greater risk. Because my mom had a stroke many, many, many years ago. 
And I asked the doctor, I said, so am I now at greater risk because my mom has had a stroke? He said, have you ever smoked? I said, never. He said, had she ever smoked? And I said, yes, she smoked a lot, including when she was pregnant, but that was back in those days. But he said, if you've ever smoked, you're at greater risk. Would you agree with that nowadays? Yes. What what we say about smoking is that, you know, when it comes to cancer, it's never too late to quit. Like as soon as you quit smoking, your chances for cancer and lung disease go down pretty quickly. But if you've ever smoked, you know, that your stroke risk does not go away, just builds from however long or however much you've smoked. Another important cause of an embolic stroke is atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heart rhythm that some people don't know they have, but you know everybody has those watches and things that can check your heart. And if it says you have atrial fibrillation, you should definitely go get checked out. Atrial fibrillation by itself is not deadly, but your doctor will probably put you on some kind of a blood thinner because atrial fibrillation is more likely that you will develop a clot in your heart that will then just go up to your brain. I think of it kind of like a river. If the river is like flowing smoothly, stuff isn't going to get caught. But if there's a part of the river where there's like a rock sticking out or a branch, the water's kind of going to eddy behind that and all the debris is going to get caught in there. And then if you have like a big flood, then it's going to get washed down. That's kind of like atrial fibrillation. Like, you know, you want to keep your heart chamber clear and keeping your blood a little bit thinner will do that and will help prevent stroke. I apologize for jumping around, but I want to go back to recovery. And you had said that time is certainly important. Is there a statistic that tells if most people or 75% of people or whatever have lingering effects after a stroke? It's all about, again, it all relates to time. And the, the key time frame that we're looking at is like four and a half hours from symptom onset. If you are able to get clot busting treatment within that first four and a half hours, your chance of recovery, or at least, you know, partial recovery or good recovery is much better. After that four and a half hour mark, the risks of using the clot busting drugs become greater than the benefit, which doesn't mean that you never are going to use them after four and a half hours. It's just, that's what, that's the art of medicine. Like you have to look at the individual situation and see what makes sense because, you know, sometimes people will wake up with a stroke and you don't know how long they've had it. Did it happen right after they fell asleep? Did it happen right before they woke up? In some cases, doctors will choose to use, you know, clot busting drugs because they don't know if everybody's okay with taking the risk of bleeding. Because when you give yourself, when you take a blood thinner, of course, the risk is that you're going to bruise more easily or you're just going to bleed more easily. 
Okay, Maureen, have we covered everything? One thing I didn't mention is that the role of aspirin in preventing stroke is really controversial. You know, at one point, people thought, oh, everybody should take a little baby aspirin because that's going to you know, help prevent heart attacks and strokes. But the jury is really out on that. And that has to be the decision that you make with your physician. So some people you know, used to say, oh, if you think you're having a stroke, take an aspirin and call 911. Don't do that. Just call 911. Some other good news that I can share for you is that what we think is that 90% of strokes can be prevented with modifiable risk factors like, you know, not smoking, controlling your blood pressure, controlling your cholesterol, controlling your diabetes, um, getting regular physical activity, including plenty of fruits and vegetables and just small amounts of alcohol. Well, that's a somewhat encouraging point because this is a tough topic. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I think is important for people to know is that, you know, taking supplements does not modify your stroke risk factor. Like some people would say, oh, take vitamin C, take vitamin E, take fish oil. But honestly, the best thing is to get those from your food. Sure. That is how you modify your stroke risk factor, not by taking them as a supplement. So it's the same thing we keep hearing over and over and over. Diet, smoking, exercise, watch your blood pressure, all those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just go to your doctor regularly and hopefully, you know, you have a doctor that you like and you trust and you'll do what they say. Is there anything else that I haven't asked or we haven't talked about yet that you'd like to make sure that listeners know? We talked a little bit about alcohol and the benefit of a small amount of alcohol daily in stroke risk reduction doesn't seem to be, it's not related to the type of alcohol. Like people used to just think, oh, red wine is so good for you. Apparently it's more of the amount, like having a small amount of any type of alcohol seems to lower your stroke risk. I don't think we have a why on that, but, but it does seem to help. Okay. Well, that's good news. That is good news. Well, Maureen, as you know, I always ask my guests what one new thing they've done or discovered lately. And starting this year, I am going to also include something new that I've done lately. And I'd also oh. and I'd also love listeners to write in and let me know what they've done. I'd love to share that. I wouldn't have to use names. You're always doing something new and it's so inspiring. It's really cool. Well, thank you. What do you have for us? Well, I have learned how to make espresso, like pull a shot of espresso, you know, and grind the beans and like do the whole thing. And I'm just in love with my espresso machine more than anybody should love an inanimate object. <laughs> oh, no. I think coffee is very, very important to many, many people, yours truly included. So was this a Christmas gift? Well, we kind of just like fell into this espresso machine. It was left in a property that my husband purchased and he 
brought it home for me. And I had no idea it was so, um, I mean, there's a lot to, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of different factors to adjust and to get your coffee just right. And um, I've been practicing and I just, it's so much fun. I will not let my husband touch the coffee machine. I told him he could if he reads the directions, but he's not going to do that. So so how long does it take in the morning to get your coffee? If I'm really efficient, I can make two cups of coffee, a cup for Donald and a cup for me in probably 20 minutes. That's a fun new thing. It I is. Like that. It's so fun. It's a really great ritual. And every single day, I am just so happy. And then when we go out, you know, go traveling and have coffee. We just can't believe how ours is so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my new thing has to do with an iPhone. And if folks listening are lucky enough to have an Apple store in your area, this might be of interest to you. I took a free class at the Apple store. I have an Apple pencil and I have to admit, I've had it for a couple of years and I don't know how to use it but now I do. And they also offer courses on photography with your iPhone and how to record video. And the clerks at the Apple store said that they always love to listen into these classes because they always learn things. And these are the Apple gurus and experts. So anyway, I would encourage anyone that has an iPhone and an Apple store handy to check into the classes in their area. They're very fun. Yeah, that's very exciting because the iPhone, it's such an amazing tool, so much more than a phone. And really, I think exploring what it can do to make your life better is a cool thing. So go Pam. Maureen, thank you so much for being here today and sharing this very valuable information. I really appreciate it. It was lovely talking with you, Pam. And that's it for today's show. A huge thank you to Dr. Seitz for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, I hope you'll listen to other episodes, spread the word about this show, and consider leaving a rating or review. A huge thank you to Brian at Top Tier Audio for his advice and guidance. And thanks to you for tuning in. And remember, I'd love to hear from you if you discover a fun new thing. My email is pam at whoimettoday.com.